Um, so the question at the top of your sheet here, can gaining wisdom or seeking pleasure satisfy you, is kind of the overarching structure of um, this section one. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, first, let's read section one, and we'll do the entire thing. I'm hoping to get to the end of chapter 11, or sorry, verse 11 in chapter 2 today. So we'll start in verse um, 12 of chapter 1 and go to verse 11 of chapter 2. That's our goal today. Um, can I have a volunteer to read Ecclesiastes section 1, which is ver uh, chapters 1 and 2? How about um, we'll have Don, you want to read uh, chapter 1 and then another volunteer for chapter 2? Owen, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, Don, you have a microphone? Okay, go ahead when you're ready, sir. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Futile, futile, laments the teacher. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. What benefit do people get from all the effort which they expend on earth? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains the same through the ages. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries away to a place from which it rises again. The wind goes to the south and circles around to the north. Round and round the wind, the wind goes, and on its rounds it returns. All the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. And to the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All this monotony is tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear ever content with hearing. What exists now is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing truly new on earth. Is there anything about which someone can say, look at this, it is new. It, has all, it was already done long ago before our time. No one remembers the former events, nor will anyone remember the events that are yet to happen. They will not be remembered by the future generations. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I decided to carefully and thoroughly examine all that has been accomplished on earth. I concluded, God has given, a people, has given people a burdensome task that keeps them occupied. I reflected on everything that is accomplished by man on earth, and I concluded everything that he has accomplished is futile, like chasing the wind. What is bent cannot be straightened, and what is missing cannot be supplied. I thought to myself, I have become much wiser than any of my predecessors who ruled over Jerusalem. I have acquired much wisdom and knowledge. So I decided to discern the benefit of wisdom and knowledge over foolish behavior and ideas. However, I concluded that even this endeavor is like trying to chase the wind. For with great wisdom comes great frustration. Whoever increases his knowledge merely increases his heartache. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the last few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water the f- from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I'd also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after win, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Okay, we can stop there, I think, because that's as far as we're going to get today anyway. Um... Okay, does anyone have the two handouts? Does everyone have the two handouts? Okay. Thank you, um, Don and Owen. Appreciate that. So a review of the prologue. That was the first 11 verses. Anyone remember the three, one of the three, try and name one of the three things that were brought up during the prologue that um, was basically explains the problem that Koaleth is going to try and deal with uh, throughout the book. <clears throat> yeah, Owen? Man gains nothing by his toil. Yep, man gains nothing by his toil. We don't last very long. That was another one, right? We're short-lived. Um, anyone know the last one? Kind of the main one. Um, that's part of it. That's part of it, to be sure. Owen? Okay. Yep. And another one, which is kind of a, a central theme, is just that built into us is this desire to be satisfied, to want to be fulfilled, and yet nothing in this world can fulfill us. Nothing in this world could satisfy us in any lasting way, um, and that our bodies themselves aren't capable of being satisfied. Okay, so that is the main problem and issue that Koaleth has brought up, and now he's going to throughout the book seek to answer that there's two parts of the lesson today one is just a very brief overall structure of this section that i'm going to go over real quickly then i'll read um 
this Ginsburg's translation, he has a, at the end of or at the beginning of each section, he also does kind of a summary verse by verse of the whole section. I'll read that, and then we can get into more of the details um, verse by verse in the in this section. Okay, so <clears throat> the grand aim of Koaleth is to find anything in life that gives lasting significance, joy, and fulfillment. And his approach to achieving this aim is to experiment or to try things out and see the results. His experiments are more like backwards-looking examinations of things that have already transpired in his life. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 11, um, after he explains all these pleasures that he's tried in life, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, blah, blah, blah. So he, he's looking back on all these things that he's done. Um, and then this, this is similar to what we might do if we were looking back on our lives to ask <coughs> what things brought us satisfaction and contentment, right? Did that home remodel that we wanted to do, did that actually make us feel any better? Or that car that we wanted to get, or the 10 purses we have, or the shoes we have, or the outfits we have, whatever. Like, did looking back and saying, huh, I got all these things, did it actually change anything? Am I different for it? Am I better for it? That kind of, that kind of approach. Um, and the structure in which he presents this, this experimentation process in section one, is to first declare his experimental aim, then to do the experiment, and then examine the results of that experiment and determine a course of action. So that's kind of the overarching plan for him. And then his experimental aim, you can see, is given in chapter 1, verse 13a. And it is to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And again, remember, he's doing this with the end of seeing if anything can give significance to life. So he's going to look at all these things that he's done and see if anything led to significance um, or fulfillment. Um, and he, of course, give, immediately gives the results of his experiment in 13b through 15, um, everything that is done under heaven is a mere breath and a hurting of the wind, which we've already seen before. Um, and then though he had acquired great wisdom, this only increased his sorrow, as you see in um, chapter 1, verse 18, when he says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So that's what he gets for all the wisdom and knowledge that he achieved. He's more depressed than he was before. Um, now, the first experiment that he's going to try, and I, I use the term experiment, but just keep in mind, it's not like he sets out to do it and then does it. It's more like he's looking back to see the things that he's done. Um, but the, the first experiment is given in chapter 1, verse 17. And he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And his first step is to search out pleasure, which is mad, madness and folly. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but <clears throat> that's his purpose. 
here and then in chapter 2, verse 1, you can see that he turns, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Um, and also in verse 2, 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And he describes this, the actual experiment in verses 4 to 10, where he details all the things that he's done. And he gives his findings in verse 211. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I'd expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So after doing his experiment, that's the result he comes up with, is none of these things satisfied. After this, in verse uh, 2.12, he turns to consider what he gains from wisdom and what he gains from madness and folly. This results in him turning and giving himself up to despair in 2.20. Um, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil, toil of my labors under the sun. And this gives his, then he gives his recommended course of action, which is, in chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. Um, and that's what I've called the conclusion of that section. But that's sort of what you do with all this information now that you have it. So he kind of does his experiment. He tells you his findings. What did it result in? And then he explains what you should do as a result of it, what your course of action should be. Okay, so that's the overview of the entire section. And I'll read Ginsburg's uh, summary real quick. And so he, what he does is he'll make a statement and then he'll tell you the verse, excuse me, that it comes from throughout. So he kind of summarizes each verse. And as you read through it, though, you get a sense of the entire flow of the um, passage. So I'll, I'll read it with the verse markings in it so you can kind of follow along. Sorry, I need to, I guess those are on, just getting older, I suppose. Okay. Coaleth, with all the resources of a monarch at his command, verse 12, applied himself assiduously to discover, by the aid of wisdom, the nature of earthly pursuits, verse 13, and found that they were all fruitless, verse 14, since they could not rectify destinies, verse 15. Reflecting, therefore, upon the large amount of wisdom he'd acquired, 16, he came to the conclusion that it is all useless, 17, as the accumulation of it only increased his sorrow and pain, 18. He then resolved to try pleasure to see whether it would yield the desired happiness but found that this too was vain, chapter 2, verse 1, and hence denounced it, verse 2, for having procured every imaginable pleasure, verses 3 to 10, he found that it was utterly insufficient to impart lasting good, verse 11, whereupon he compared wisdom with pleasure, verse 12, and though he saw the former had a decided advantage over the latter, verse 13 to 14, Yet he also saw that it does not exempt its possessor from death and oblivion, but that the wise and the fool must both alike die and be forgotten. 14 to 16. This made him hate both life and the possessions which, 
Though acquired by industry and wisdom, he must leave to another who may be a reckless fool, 17 to 21, convincing him that man has nothing from his toil but wearisome days and sleepless nights, 22 to 23, that there is therefore nothing left for man but to enjoy himself, verse 24, yet this too he found was not in the power of man, 24 to 25, but God gives this power to the righteous and withholds it from the wicked, and that is, after all, transitory, verse 26. Okay, so any questions on that? That's kind of the basic flow, the basic structure of the section that we're going to look at. Is that, Don, you're kind of crinkling your nose up. Does that not make, make sense? Is that a little... No, I wasn't here last week, so... Okay. Let's... Leave it to that then. Any questions on, on that structure, basic idea there? Okay. So then we'll move on to the more detailed look at section 1. So verses 12 to 18 of chapter 1. Coleth declares his course of action... <laughs> And you can see that in verse 13. What is his declared aim? Yep. And how does he do that? Well, he's not seeking out wisdom. I guess we should clarify. Yeah, so he's going to use his wisdom to examine everything that's done. And what's not said, but which is implied in the whole structure, is he's doing this to see if any of these things that are done under heaven give him some kind of satisfaction or fulfillment. So that's what he's... Yes? That's true, and... Uh, we're going to look at that in a little bit. Uh, absolutely, that's correct. But there's also that part in um, the Chronicles and stuff that talk about how he asked for wisdom to lead God's people. Yeah. And he was granted great wisdom. Yeah. So uh, I find it interesting that this wisdom led him to search out what life is all about. Yeah. And he wisdom to wisdom, I guess. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, I don't want to jump too quickly to it because we are going to look at that. It's on your outline as C there, 1C. But um, we will get to that in a moment. But that is true of wisdom. It's also true in the Proverbs. The beginning of Proverbs is he's searching wisdom to get wisdom, right? He's But that wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord, but then the more he looks at it and the more he learns, the wiser he gets. So it's, it is kind of a recursive searching. It's not like you search and, oh, here's wisdom, I'm done. Right? You, the idea of wisdom is that you are... Um, do you have Psalm 1 there? Do you have your Bible? Could you read Psalm 1 or Proverbs 1? Uh, I think it's the first eight verses. I'll look it up on here, too. Actually, I think I have my Bible. Proverbs 9, 
Where was it in Proverbs 1? Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Okay. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. So stop there for a sec. So in order to get these things, in order to know wisdom, in order to receive instruction, in order to give prudence, then what's the next part, Stephen? Uh, Verse 5, let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Yeah. So that's good there. So in other words, in order to know wisdom, you have to hear and receive instruction to increase in learning. And in fact, that's what wisdom is, right? It starts with the fear of the Lord, a humility, a willing to listen and learn. That's the foundation of wisdom. And then from that foundation, you continue to grow in wisdom. Yeah. 9-9. You want to... 9-9... Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Yeah, thank you. That's perfect. That's the idea. It's, wisdom is not something you just achieve and it's over, right? It's a, it's a way of living. It's a way of walking. And as you do that, you continue to grow in wisdom. So you could say the wise is always growing in wisdom. Okay. Um. Okay, so the beginning of uh, verse 12 here. Koleth now proceeds to prove the burden of the argument stated in the prologue and to show the vanity of all human efforts to satisfy the craving of the immortal soul by the failure of the many experiments which he has made to that effect. So in verse 13, Koleth gives us his declared aim um, as... Um, we've talked about already, but this aim is to use his wisdom to search out all things done under heaven, and he's searching to see if anything can fulfill him. That's the idea. Now, this evil, I wanted to address this one issue here. The ESV translates it, it's an unhappy business in verse 13. That's really something more like evil, Um an evil business, a sad and evil employment or business, utterly bad occupation. You can see that, and I'll just read these real quickly, but in chapter 4, verse 8, same idea there. One person, uh, again, I saw Vandy and his son, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all this toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is a vanity and an unhappy business. That process, that, um, the way things are there. Another reference is chapter 5, verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So that evil, that grievous evil, that unhappy business, that's the idea of it. Not evil, as you could see in the larger context of Proverbs, it's not morally evil. It's a sense of being miserable or pointless, hurting the wind, which is what he's talking about, right? How did we get such a a burdensome evil thing that we have to do? 
verse 14, uh, Koaleth tells us straight away the, um, the conclusion. After seeing everything, all is a mere breath and a hurting of the wind. And verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now this crookedness and what is lacking refer back to the evil business that God has given man to be busy with. And this is the same idea we get in the prologue as applied to the earth and its cycles. The idea of fixed paths that cannot be altered. Like it or not, these truths about man's condition are unalterable. That's the idea there. You can't change them. Just like the cycles of water going from the river to the ocean and the winds going around, they're set, they're fixed. Um, Verse 16, Solomon was given unsurpassed wisdom from God. So he says, in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, just as we have said in that next verse, he says, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness. So he wasn't just given the finished product, but he's given the wisdom from God. So we can look at that. Jake, you want to read that? Is that? No, I, I just had a, <clears throat> I liked, I liked the way you referred to this whole thing earlier, sort of like an experiment. I love the way that Solomon starts with wisdom. This is where he begins. He's not like, some guy who won the lottery, you know what I mean, and then just fell into all sorts of dissipation and pleasures and spending and debauchery. This, from the very beginning, was a purposeful seeking out of wisdom, yeah. and and the whole way through, just being guided by that. It wasn't like he fell into this or it was some impulse thing. He had a clearly, he was guided by wisdom every step of the way. He had something he wanted to know. He had something he was looking for. I just think it's really cool that he starts purpose statement you know what I mean I'm seeking in wisdom wisdom's going to guide me the pleasure is not an end in and of itself he's looking for some meaning you know and I just think I like the way you said it was almost like an experiment before I do this before I consider this here's why it's not just for the the stuff I'm trying to find out something could you read for us the 2 Kings 3 verses 15 to 13 is it too dark (laughs) too dark over there no I can see okay Yeah, 2 Kings 3, 15 to 13. 2 Kings 3, 13 to 15. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them... That doesn't sound right. Am I? Chapter 3? 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 13. Is that right? I should look it up in my Bible. I just wrote down the reference. It's where he asks God, where God gives him the wisdom. Oh, sorry. Um, That might not be here. One sec. Find it. I'm going to look in 1 Kings because I might have just... I'm sorry. It's... First Kings, cool. my mistake. The, 
The okay. one and the two are right next to each other on the keyboard. No, My apologies. Five, thirteen. So First Kings. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, first Kings three five. <clears throat> Sorry. First Kings uh, three five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, "Ask what I shall give you." And Solomon said, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you." And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Yeah. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Okay, thank you. So the, the idea there is that he asked God for wisdom to do what God's you know, called him to do, which is to rule Israel. But that is somewhat confusing, you could say, in that if God gave him the wisdom, why then does he have to try and get wisdom? Um, and you see that in at the end of at the end of um, two. Give me a second. Okay, in verse um, 16, or verse 17, he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So why would he have to work to get wisdom if God gave him wisdom? If he has to put in work, if he has to put in the work, how's this a gift from God? That's the question. Don? You want to use the microphone there? But maybe turn it on. I don't know that God just dropped a, the knowledge pill into his head uh, or heart, whatever. Um, I think he gave him the, both the capacity and the means to uh, gain wisdom. Um, yep. Okay. It, it wasn't the, the the wisdom wasn't a, a package in and of itself. Right. 
not a finished product, we could say. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that um, passage we read in Proverbs, Proverbs 1 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. It's almost like the wise get more wise because they know to seek after it. Wisdom is this thing in Proverbs where go out, get wisdom, seek after wisdom. It's this continual process. And if you're wise enough to know you need it, you're going to get even more of it. So it's not like an all or nothing, but like if you have wisdom, you know you need more. And Proverbs is all about going and seeking out more. Yeah. I think if you look other places in Scripture too, I mean, God gave them the promised land, but it didn't mean they didn't have to fight for it and walk into it in faith and obedience. So I think um, drawing from that, the same with with wisdom, you you are given it as you obey it's increased as you walk out in faithfulness and do what he told you to do but he does he does bless you with that yep okay um i'm thinking of just even like spiritual gifts today or in the new testament like god gifts us uniquely but we have to practice those and grow in those the more we use them and the more we um serve other people it doesn't just happen i mean there's a portion of it that does we're all gifted uniquely but you grow in it too yeah yeah it's like um anything in life if you want to get good at something you have to do it you don't get you might have some innate natural ability to do it but you have to exercise it um and i'm I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like success is 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration, something like well, that. Yeah. that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I butchered it, but... 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Oh, okay. So the idea, though, could you tell us, Don, what the idea there is? Uh, the idea of that quote? What, yeah, the quote. Um, uh, to put it in a different way... A person who knows it all can't learn anything else. And that's only... God yeah, is only, or thinks he knows. Yeah. Well, no. If God does know everything, and he can't learn anything else because there's nothing else to learn. But he's the only one like that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so that's a good point um, in terms of wisdom is that your God gave... Well, let's... I'm going to read verse I, I the end of chapter. This way. Yeah, the sorry. more I learn, the less I know. Yeah. But so the idea there, though, is the more you learn, the more you understand things, the more you recognize you know very little. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the ignorant fool who thinks he knows everything and doesn't want to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, chapter 2, verse 26. This is another aspect to it. For to the one who pleases him... God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting. So the idea is that you have to put in the work, but then God does give you the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from that. Um, Yes. um, in order, I feel like, to know wisdom, you have to know what it is not. And so when you are working on um, becoming more spiritually wise, you know, I find myself often praying, Lord, I need wisdom in this. And then you are finding out, okay, and you're working that through as, like, okay, 
What does that look like? Is it this? Is it that? I'm speaking to other people. I'm gaining insight. It's not just, oh, I got it. It's, it's constantly kind of working towards um, hopefully, you know, what God is, is willing. And so there's also the other side of that where it's like, well, that may not be the best thing or the wisest thing. So what is the countering yeah. um, thing to that as well? So you kind of have to know both. I think, in order to continue to uh, be more wise. Yeah, and it's not just you thinking that. That's the next thing that Solomon does here. If you'll look at D, the next section there, um, what you're saying is absolutely right. Like, you have to know both sides of it. So, Coaleth, you see in verse 17 there, applies his heart to know wisdom but also to know madness and folly, uh, both of which are aspects of pleasure. And we can see that in verses chapter, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Um, I didn't write down those quotes, so just give me a second. Chapter 2, verse 2, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with, or sorry, Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do. So the madness and folly are different aspects to the pleasure that we'll look at in a sec, but I do want to, and maybe next week actually, but the next thing I'd like to do is look at a proverb that I think will illustrate exactly what you're saying, um, that Solomon applies his heart to know wisdom, but also to know madness and folly, which are opposites in some sense of wisdom. And Solomon employs the same strategy when examining something in the Proverbs. He looks not only at the thing itself, but he also places it next to something else to lend more information. He often will use the opposite, but that's not always the case. So in Proverbs fifteen nineteen, which I did write down there for you, the proverb is, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. So clearly those are two different images. One is of a level highway, right, that the path of the righteous is compared to. And then a hedge of thorns, which the way of the sluggard is compared to. Okay, so let's look at these separately. And I'm going to ask a question, and that is to make observations. And when I say observations, I just mean clear, concrete things in the text that you can see, no extrapolations of what it might mean. That makes sense? So the path, let's start with the path of the righteous is a level highway. What are, let's try and get at least three observations from that part of the verse alone. The path of the righteous, or the path of the upright is a level highway. Alakai, you want to make an observation? Or please make an observation about that. Not what it means, though. Remember, just an observation. What do you actually see there? 
that the upright are gonna the things go well for them. Okay, that's not an observation. Observation would be like um, there's a highway in here, or the highway's level, or something like that. Something you can see in the text. It might mean it might mean that things go well for them, right? But that's an interpretation. That's not an observation about the text. Does that make sense? Okay, so try and make an observation about the path of the upright is a level highway. There's a highway and it's level. Okay. Good. Two observations in one. Any other takers on that? Makes a point of it being level, which means there's no advantage or disadvantage well, to, that's the, to the, the traveler. Meaning. We want to stick to the observations, though. And that, we'll get that, to the meaning. That's the next. That's the observation is that it's a level highway, not a usual highway. Okay. There's not hills on it. There's no up and down. Okay. Fair enough. Well, let's stick just to the path of the upright as a level highway and try and make another... Stephen? The upright are on a path. Eh, excellent. Okay, they're on a path. There is a path. The upright are on it. That path is like a level highway. Those are all... There is such a thing as an upright person, right? All of those are valid observations. Um, okay, now to everyone's favorite part of this, I just wanted to slow down because it's important that we make the observations before we move into trying to interpret them. Otherwise, we can end off in another area. So what do you think a level highway implies? Okay, level. I think other translations will say smooth. Smooth, okay. Um, no hills, so it's it's much easier, as some people have said, right? It's or consistent, maybe. There's not as much up and down, potholes. right? Lots of, lots of potholes. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a highway too, if you think about it. Without getting too into it, is actually built up into something. So it also implies that there's some kind of plan to it. There was some work that was put into it. Someone had to think about this and plan it. They didn't just like if you think of the Roman roads, they, you know, they actually put a lot of work into making those things. Um, so that's another thing that's implied by that idea of the path of the righteous is a level highway. Is the level highway is built also for a purpose, right? There's a purpose to it. Don. Roads are getting Okay, good point. It, there's, it's connecting two points at least. The road isn't there just to be a road. It's there to help you get you know, from yeah. point A to point B. No, that's a really good point. So one, you have a goal or destination in mind, you could say, and you have to plan and think through how to get there and construct something to get there. That would also be implied by that level highway. Excellent. Thank you, Don. Um. So those are more implications of it, which is more interesting. Mom, did you have a 
Sorry. I was just going to say, if you're making it level, it means you're removing obstacles that are in the way. Okay. So you're not just walking along, but but you're actually working to remove anything that might be there, which would imply planning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, taking. No. Yeah, no, thank you. And you know, that's a really good point is that one, you have to know where you're going. Two, you have a plan to get there and what you're going to build. And that's going to require you putting work in ahead of time to create this highway so that you can get there more quickly. Okay. Well, anytime you're going to go somewhere, you have to know where you're at first. Yep. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So those are all great observations. Turned. Oh, Steve. I, I think you're missing the main point, which is Thank that he's you. contrasting a level highway to a thorny hedge. Well, not yet. We're not. We're intentionally not getting there because that, we're just making observations about the path of the upright as a level highway. Then we'll make observations about the hedge and the sluggard, and then we'll compare the two. That, but we will get there, I promise you. That's why he has a level highway. That's one point that he's connecting to the other. Yes, absolutely. Okay? So he put in work ahead of time to get there. There has to be a plan. You have to kind of know where you're going, um, and you have to put in the work to do it. The other thing I think that's implied in a level highway is this is a normal place that people drive, or not drive, sorry, but there's going to be walking and movement on this. It's a recurring um, course of movement, right? You don't build a highway that you're going to go to once, right? It's, it's connecting places that are traveled, well-traveled, you could say that, okay? Um, okay? So that is the first part of the proverb. And this is, if you were just to say that, that would tell you a lot. But then he doesn't stop there, to your point. He compares then the path of the upright, which is like a level highway, to something else. But before we talk about how they're compared, let's just look at the next section, which is the first section, which is the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. So let's step back a sec, not interpretations, just observations about this, just this section of the verse. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Observations about that. Yes, Owen. There's a way of the sluggard. Okay, there's also a way to the sluggard. No, I mean, that's what a sluggard, yeah. Or hits home runs. What's that? Or hits home runs. That's a slugger. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I like that he points out it's got thorns. Yes. It's, okay. in, it's in snares, it entraps, it grab, reaches out and grabs you. It's painful. Well, so the observation would be there's thorns. That's it. It's a hedge, which, what does that tell you? Okay, it's thick. There's a lot to it, right? Barrier. It's a barrier, right? And it has thorns, okay? So it's not a barrier of, like, mist or something. It's a 
thing you're going to have to get past thorns to get through. Okay. Any other observations there? Okay, so to everyone's favorite part then, not comparing the two, just interpretations of, um, or rather, what does the hedge of thorns imply? Steve's already talked about some ways that, some implications of it. Yeah. Don? Um, it would imply a, a, a limit, a hedge is a bound, uses a boundary. Yeah. Um, so it's going to inhibit uh, movement, travel, as opposed to the road, which opens it up to, to travel. Right. So, okay, it's the, the, the hedge of thorns implies it's difficult, right? Uh-huh. It's painful, to Steve's point. It's not easy. Zach? It's almost contradictory, right? Like yeah. if you walked up to some place and there was a big hedge of thorns, you'd be like, that's not a road. That's like someone's garden that they let get overgrown or something. And right. So it's like the way is not even really a way. It's, it's, like, it's like a collection of obstacles. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah? No, that's true. There's, it's sort of, there's an inherent contradiction to it. Like, it doesn't really make sense. It's like, hey, how do we get there? Well, right through this hedge that's full of thorns. Yeah, probably not a great idea. Maybe there's another way. Okay. Um, now, what do you think, then... When we put these next to each other, when you put this idea of the way of the sluggard, whose way is like a hedge of thorns, when we put that next to the path of the upright, what additional things do we learn about the path of the upright? One is better. Okay, it's better. When you compare the two, Don, that's the question. Esri? Okay, one's more useful for its purpose, right? There's no inherent contradiction in it. It's built for a purpose, and it does that purpose. The hedge can be there for a purpose as well. Yeah. But not as a way. That's the point. Okay. Yeah. It's a barrier. It's a barrier. That's its purpose. Okay, so the question we're trying to answer is how do... How does putting the idea of the way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns next to the path of the upright is a level highway, how does putting, juxtaposing those to each other inform you more about the path of the upright? One's easier. Okay, one's easier. Excellent. Stacy. There's a choice to make. There's a choice. Okay, excellent. There's two different ways, right? Uh, one... One can keep you from the other. Okay, well, sure. If you're on one, you're not on the other. Yeah. Well, the hedge can keep you on the road. If you stay on the road, it's going to keep you out from the hedge. Okay. Okay. Stephen? One's clearly correct. One is clearly correct, yeah. And you should know it, too. Like, I mean, you would think if you're walking through this hedge of thorns and you're scraping yourself, you're bleeding... At some point, it might be like, hey, this is probably not the best way. 
just going out on a limb here. No pun intended, Steve. Okay. Um, so, but is that, does that make sense to you guys that when you have two things put next to each other, it kind of helps inform you more? Like you could think, hey, a level highway, that's nice and easy, right? But when you compare that to this person who's struggling through this bush and hacking away and breaking off limbs and getting scraped and scarred from these thorns, when that's put next to the person who's just kind of walking along a path, well, you learn more about the person on the path, right? It's like, well, that looks pretty smart. You know, that's a much better way. I definitely want to do that. (laughs) The problem, I think, for most people is when you're building the road. Then it's like, I don't want to do all that work. So you just keep hacking through the bush. That's the sluggard. Okay, so um, the upright will enjoy a less painful walk. The sluggard will find constant resistance to his movement while the upright can walk straight ahead without um, conflict. Just as before, Koaleth gives us his findings up front, and that is right at the end of that experiment. Excuse me. And that's in verse uh, 17. So he says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. So he tells you right up front what he's going to get when he's done with this pleasure cruise, as it were. Which is quite a bit different than we would think of. And we'll get to that next week, Lord willing. Um, I'll finish out with just this verse 18. When Koalath increases his wisdom and knowledge, does this help him achieve his goal of being fulfilled? I, I would say yes, in that he, he's finding out what doesn't work. Okay. You know, it's quite I true. Would, I used to coach kids, and some, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Okay. So it might tell him, it tells him, though, this isn't the way. Right. Yep. So it helps in that sense, right? Absolutely. But does it fulfill him? That's probably a better way of phrasing it. Okay. No, obviously. But that, so then as he's doing his experiment, it's like, okay, this doesn't work. Check it off. Try the next thing. And that's essentially what he's going to be doing. Um, gaining more wisdom is useless in achieving greater fulfillment because gaining more wisdom achieves the opposite. It increases sadness and sorrow. Ignorance is bliss, as they say. So that would be sort of a, an offshoot of that. Yeah, for sure. I, another succinct way of saying this, life is hard. It's a lot harder when you're stupid. <laughs> well, but that's not his point here. His point here is that he's... Okay, so... He's looking for what are the things in life that really fulfill me and satisfy me, right? Is it wisdom? And he gets wisdom. He's like, no, in fact, the more I know about stuff, you could compare it to like reading the news. The more you know about all the events around the world, the more kind of sad and depressed it gets. And so the idea is that just because you know more doesn't mean that you're more fulfilled or more satisfied. And that's what he's looking at, is that knowledge, when you increase knowledge, you're increasing your sorrow. You're not getting closer to being fulfilled. 
So then, so then, if God is 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 the only God, as uh, Paul says in Timothy, to Timothy, the only wise God is God full of sorrow and sadness. Then, since He has all wisdom, was Jesus happy when He came to Earth and saw that Israel wouldn't repent? Yes and no. Exactly. So it's not it's not a useful question, I guess. In my point, like if Solomon is saying gaining more wisdom fills him with vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow, we should take him at his word and try and figure out what that means. You see what I mean? He, like what he's saying is true. We've got to figure out how is it true. So let me, I'll read you Ginsburg, this is, and then I'll let you guys go. This um, quote is how he puts it, the, this last verse. For in much wisdom is much sadness. And multiplying knowledge is multiplying sorrow. So the idea there is pretty clear. The more knowledge and wisdom you get, the more sadness and sorrow is there with it. So, and his conclusion then is that wisdom does not fulfill and satisfy. And so then he moves to pleasure, which is what we'll look at next week. I think it would be important to say that wisdom in and of itself does not bring it. Because we're told in the same writer in, in Proverbs tells get wisdom with everything, you, with everything you have, try to get more wisdom. Yeah. So it's not, it's not an end in itself. Wisdom isn't an end in itself. That's right. That's his point. If he gets wisdom, he's the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him that wisdom. He spent his life gaining more wisdom. And at the end of it, he's saying, this didn't satisfy. This didn't fulfill me. So I don't think we're saying anything different. It, it is wisdom itself does not satisfy, period. But we, if you want to talk more, Don, we can, you can come up here and we can talk. I don't want to keep everyone else. But thank you, everyone. And then tomorrow we'll just look at Lord willing, the pleasure part, and then what I said tomorrow, but next week. So if you would like, you can read the next chapter two, and we should get through a good portion of that. If you have any questions, come on up, and I can stay, and we can chat.